Welcome to the second episode of Twilight and Terror, where I'm documenting the strange occurrences that I've noticed in the small town of Blood Creek. I left off last week's episode with Jamie and her best friend Kim doing some digging to find out exactly who were these men that had come into their lives. What they found disturbed them, and Jamie set out to find the truth. I had asked Kim to come over the next day. I was off work, but Jason wasn't. It was a Saturday, but he had to go in for a half a day's overtime. I watched him drive down our dirt road and around the corner. I called Kim and I let her know she was clear to pull in. And we started by looking at the internet pages again. We found that Bobby and Nate's father was not a good man. He had owned this farm, inheriting it from his father. I think it was in their family even longer than that. It seemed to go back generations, but we couldn't really find a lot to confirm it. Nate and Bobby's father was Billy Joe Simmons. Billy Joe had gone off the deep end slowly from what I found out. He was in and out of Eloise Asylum for about 15 years. And Billy and Nate's mother had gone missing when the boys were 8 and 13. They searched, but... They couldn't find her, and there were rumors that he found his wife in bed with a local mechanic and killed them both, stabbing them multiple times, but there was no proof, and it always shocks me how rumors like this can start. I mean, clearly someone knows something. Jamie was right. Local lore often turns out to hold some truth in cold cases. I was familiar with the story of Billy Joe from my years of journalism, I wasn't surprised to hear the condition of his children in the picture, but it was 40 years ago, and it was a different time then. I asked Jamie if she had known that a previous resident of her home had gone missing. No, I don't know if Jason possibly knew, and maybe he just didn't say anything. I found out that the three other men were the cousins of Bobby and Nate. They were raised very close to them. Their father was the brother of Billy and Nate's father, and they were at the house a lot, even moving in during hard times. It must have been stressful for Jamie to have this group of men in her house. This group of men that she started to suspect had been there before. They seemed up to no good. Kim and I ventured through the yard and out to the barn to take a look around. The barn is far back in the yard... We walked past the area we had set up for Abby, a swing set and sandbox there for her. We crept quietly through the area where about 15 apple trees stood, dodging the falling apples. I didn't think anything strange of the apple trees at the time, but later I wondered if something could have been wrong with them. It seemed so far-fetched, but since then there have been strange reports referencing the apple trees near the town cemetery. Once you get through the apple trees, that's when you're approaching the barn, and it was always such a beautiful sight. There was so much wildlife, and in the spring, Abby and I would take walks through the small patch of wood. There's a farmer's field back a ways, and it always floods in the spring. We would watch the ducks that would come land in it like it was a pond. Kim and I spotted a few deer in the distance while we were walking out there. It was colder than normal, and I just had a bad feeling. Everything felt just too quiet. I pulled the large door open and peeked in suspiciously. The barn was empty. Things were still and normal. Kim, being braver than me, pushed the door and walked past me. Row a pair. This is your house, too. I know. 
I know that picture was taken in this barn. How would you know that? It doesn't even look like this place. I just know it. I know it in my gut. I just, I feel something is wrong. Don't you have one of those nervous feelings in your gut? This is an old barn. It's creepy. Of course I have a bad feeling. There's probably spiders in here older than the both of us. Let's head upstairs and see what these boys have been up to. I just feel like Jason's gonna get mad at me. If there really is no cellar, should we really be snooping? Jason did a nice job on this law. I can't believe this wasn't here before. And he made it himself? I was actually pretty impressed too. I mean, look at this old lamp. He found it somewhere in here when we moved in. I don't like it. It's too antique. I mean, ugly. Look at all these beer cans and pizza boxes. At least Jason leaves his mess out here, not in the house. What's over there by the stairs? Look at this. I, I can't believe this was under the couch. Isn't that yours? Yeah, it's mine. I've had this in my closet for years. Don't you remember when my mom gave this to me? She was going to throw it away and I stopped her because I wanted it. There's jewelry in here. I asked Jamie to tell me more about the infamous box that would have its picture plastered all over the news four months after the incident. It was my mother's box. She always kept it on her nightstand with her rings in it. It was this old blue vintage rectangle treasure box with gold roses on the top and sides. Beautiful gold trim around the edges. It didn't mean much to her, but when I was young, I just loved opening it and looking at the beautiful, expensive rings she kept inside. My father bought her a new one some years back, and she gave it to me. I didn't use it. I had it sitting in my closet, and I really didn't even realize it was missing. When I opened that box and found there was jewelry inside, jewelry that wasn't mine, jewelry that looked expensive, I was mad. I had wanted to hide my snooping from Jason, and I didn't want him to know I was suspicious, but that ended there. I didn't say anything to Jason, but I took the box. I knew he would notice it missing. I thought it would give me the upper hand that he would have to ask me something now. He didn't need to be the only one with a secret, and when I think back at that moment, I'm so glad I took that box. I was surprised when a few weeks went by without any mention of the box. It was a Saturday night when I first heard mention of it. It must have been April by then, and Kim and I were sitting in the house watching a movie. We heard yelling from the outside barn. You betrayed me. I know you took it. And we ran to the window to look out back. Who took it then? Someone here had to have taken it. Why do you think they're out there? Did you even realize they were here? I literally had no idea they were here. I don't even see their cars in the driveway. Are you kidding me? Where did they even part? It was dark and the barn is far enough that we could only see shadows. Jason was angry and he was the one doing the most yelling. The others were yelling, but it just didn't seem like they were fighting back as much as they were trying to calm him down. See, I told you he was hiding that box. Do you really think this is all over a box? Well, what else would he be so mad about? Maybe he's screwing someone else. No way. I don't think so. Maybe it's his mother's jewelry and he just found the box and put it in there. I really think something weird is going on out there. I think you're overreacting. I think they're just drinking too much. If Nate thinks I'm going to give him the time of day with all this drinking they've been doing, he's nuts. 
Jason has never been a big drinker. I, I just don't think that's what's going on. You have to hide this for me, and I don't mean take it home and put it on your end table. I mean hide it, and you can't tell anyone. I'll do it, but I really just think you should ask Jason about it. I expected Jason to be mad, but not that mad. I decided I didn't want him to know that I had the box after all, and I took it out to Kim's car. He really seemed on edge for at least a week after that. I had never seen him that paranoid. A million scenarios went through my mind. I thought maybe the contents of the box, my box, belonged to his mistress. I just couldn't understand why this was happening. One thing that I had noticed was slowly, as my trust for him dwindled away, so did my willingness to have sex with him. And after I found the box, I just didn't want him to touch me at all. I would force myself to kiss him goodbye and sleep next to him at night, but I just had this feeling deep inside of me, this untrusting feeling, like he was a snake that was going to bite me. This man that I had married was no longer the man I'd known, and, and I wondered how we got here, how I let my marriage fall away so easily. I, I really didn't want a divorce. I just wanted to raise my child with her father, but... I wondered if I could bear it. Jamie had decided to take her daughter to a visit at her parents' house. She felt uneasy enough in her marriage to talk to her parents about their new problems. She wanted advice. My parents had made it through hard times and come out stronger than ever. I just didn't know if I was strong enough to do the same. I didn't tell her all the specifics. I mean, I told her about... The friends and the prospect that he was probably drinking too much. Although I never actually saw him drunk. I just told her I thought I didn't know him anymore. I just didn't know the man he had become. She gave me some great advice, or at least what should have been great advice. She told me to try to reconnect with my husband, you know, get to know each other again. She even offered to watch Abby so that we could go out for the evening the following Saturday. I told her I would bring her over in the afternoon and pick her up about 10. And then I went home and talked to Jason about having a night by ourselves. There's an important game night with the guys on Saturday, Jamie. I'm sorry, but I told them I would. Are you kidding? My parents never offered to take Abby. And you know my mom is busy all the time. We haven't been out in so long. Invite Kim over and we'll have an adult night. All of us will hang out before and after the game was disappointed. I mean, but at least if Jason didn't want a night with me, Kim would be here. Kim has been my best friend since fifth grade. We had times through our lives when I thought we were going in separate directions, but we always came back to each other. And I was scared our friendship would change when I got married and started having children. I mean, Kim preferred to live a life where she felt free. She'd chosen to work on her career and make a life for herself on her own. She could have chosen my path. She's beautiful in every way. She's tall with long dark hair and big brown eyes. When Kim wears her hair down, I often catch myself staring at it, admiring it. Everyone always told me how beautiful my straight hair was, but Kim has just enough curl to give it a natural beach wave look. It's thick and long, and she often wears it up to keep it out of her way, but when she lets it fall, it's more than halfway down her back. I've always been able to tell Kim anything and everything. She would never lie to me, and I always felt that a true sign of friendship was when your friends would be honest and still supportive. 
Kim is honest with me about how she feels about anything I tell her, but she would never abandon me regardless of her opinion. I make sure to offer her the same level of friendship she offers, and I often let her know how valuable she is to me. Everything seemed to be going a little better than usual. Kim thought it would be a little awkward because she let Nate know that she wasn't interested in dating. He had seemed to take it a bit hard, but the guys were hanging out with us in the house instead of the barn, and they all seemed to be in good spirits, including Nate. I made roasted chicken with mashed potatoes and roasted vegetables for dinner. Everyone seemed happy with it, which of course made me happy. We were just sitting in the living room after dinner, and his friends talked about stuff in the news. Just small talk, really. So I said it. I don't know why I did it. I tried to say it casually, but it wasn't something I would normally do. If something like this would be expected from anyone, to be honest, it would have been Kim. She wasn't shy about saying anything to anyone. So, I heard you guys grew up in this house. Is it strange to come back here after so many years? Where did you hear that, Jamie? Just around town, you know. I was met with glares from everyone in the room, including Kim, who looked shocked that I would give away that bit of information that we had been sitting on. I didn't quite realize what was happening. They all slowly got up one by one and started doing other things. I was distracted by Jason, who had responded to me. Next, Jason walked into the kitchen and said something to them. They were all in a group now, and I just stayed on the couch and tried to act normal. Was it a secret or something? I just thought it would be interesting to know what the house was like when they used to live here. Jason walked over to me, and I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, Nate was walking over to Kim at the same time. Jason kissed me on the forehead, and that was the moment everything changed. The next thing I knew, I was laying on the couch. My head was pounding, and I felt groggy. A few different things went through my groggy mind. I kind of thought I'd gotten drunk and fell asleep on the couch. I thought it was morning. But I glanced at a window and it was dark. I looked for my cell phone but realized that I didn't know where it was. I checked the clock in the wall and it was 9.30. I realized I'd only had one glass of wine. I, I couldn't be drunk. I looked around myself and I was alone. I... I got up and this pain surged through my head and I felt wobbly and I had to sit back down. I went to the kitchen, drank some water, and took two Motrin. The house, it was so quiet, like eerily silent. I'd never felt scared in my own home and I didn't know why, but I felt scared now. I told myself just to calm down. I looked out the kitchen window and realized the driveway was full of cars. I could see lights on in the barn. Everything slowly came back. I remembered the dinner and the question I asked. Jason walking towards me. I didn't didn't have any idea what was happening. I told myself that thoughts of something terrible, they were ridiculous. But I still took a box cutter out of the laundry room drawer. And I slipped it in the pocket of my jeans, just in case. I put on my gym shoes and I carefully crept out to the barn. The glow of the light emanating from the windows was always eerily amazing in the dark. I crept as quiet and slow as I could. 
The crunchy noise my shoes made in the grass seemed so loud in the still quiet night. I lingered among the apple trees for just a moment, just taking in the silence. I remember what Kim had said when she went into the barn that day. Don't let them make you feel like this isn't your barn. I walked up to the door. It was open just a crack. It usually was. I looked in and saw nothing more than what should have normally been there, and I told myself they must have been upstairs. Relieved, I opened the door and walked in. There was a smell, and I had smelled that smell in the barn before, but it was a little fainter than it was today. It was a smell that would grab you in the pit of your stomach. I was walking to the stairs to the loft when something caught my eye. Sometime before Jamie and Jason had purchased their house, the barn had been partially updated, possibly to create a nicer atmosphere, or maybe to hide the secrets within. Paneling had been put up to cover some of the original barn walls. There was a section of old metal gating from when there used to be animal pens in the barn, and it had been moved to the side. I could see a small opening among the paneling. I pulled it, and it swung open easily like a secret door made of paneling. There wasn't much to the construction of it. It was just paneling, two by fours on the inside framing it. And as I pulled it, the smell wafted out from below, and I I gagged, but I got control of my stomach. The door didn't squeak, which was a huge relief, but now standing at the top of a stairway looking down, I could hear voices chanting. I could see that the space below was where the pictures I had found was taken so many years before. I walked down the steps trying to hear what the voices below me were saying. But I couldn't make it out. I I don't even think it sounded like English. It sounded demonic. I carefully inched down the steps until I came to a break in the wall that lined the stairway. If I continued walking, they would have seen my shoes and then my legs until finally my entire body would come into view. So instead, I crouched down and carefully peered into the opening. All six of them were standing in a small room. It was the cellar, the cellar that the picture had been taken in. I saw Kim lying on a table, motionless. She was naked and they were standing around her, chanting. I wanted, I wanted to yell, but the fear prevented me. I looked around the room, and there were books lining the wall on homemade shelves. Billy had a book open in front of him, and he was reading from it. It was large and ominous looking. There was a knife laying next to Kim, and it looked like something that would be used for hunting, I think. It wasn't clean. I I couldn't tell what was on it, but I hoped it wasn't blood. I stood and I watched until they stopped chanting, and Billy pulled Kim's limp body to him. He placed himself between her legs. He unzipped his jeans, and he started to rape her. It haunts me. She was too out of it to know what was happening to her. I gasped. And I threw my hand over my mouth, but they heard me. I ran upward, 
into the barn, and I heard them yell that they didn't give me enough. I heard something running behind me, and I felt a blow to the back of my head. Someone was on me, and then the world just faded away. I felt my head pounding again, and I lifted my head and opened my eyes. I was sitting, my back leaning against something. Jason and the rest of them, they were still standing at the table that Kim laid on. I was paralyzed by fear, and I slowly realized it wasn't a table Kim was laying on. It, it was a homemade altar. They were taking turns with her. I hoped she was alive. I needed her to be alive. And then Jason saw my head move, and he rushed over to me fast. Don't move. I know this seems strange, Jamie, and I'm sorry I hit you, but you don't understand. I'm doing this to protect you, to protect our family. This has been going on for generations. We have to feed the demon that lives down here. I didn't believe it at first either, but Billy and Nate, they grew up here. They grew up knowing all about it. When they came here for the first time, showed me this cellar, I didn't believe it either, but they showed me the truth, Jamie. Now I'm going to show you the truth. Jason, can we please go inside the house to talk? No. Can can we please go somewhere safe and then you can tell me everything? No, we can't, Jamie. We have to finish what we started here today. Please don't let them hurt Kim. Jamie, you don't understand. I don't have control here. There's a demon down here and he wants Kim for his collection. If we don't give him Kim, then he's going to take our family. No, Jason... The demon isn't going to take our family. What if we just move? What What if we just sell the house and move far away? No one will ever have to know any of this happened. Everything can go back to normal. No one has to know anything. We're a part of this now. Jason, no. All of us, even you. He was trying to show me a book, but I was in no condition to read. It was some sort of old antique looking journal it had terrifying pictures that looked like they had been sketched years ago. So next, he stood up and he walked back to the altar. It was his turn to have his way with Kim. Finally, I remembered the box cutter in my pocket. And when I reached down, I realized, I realized they had taken it from me when I was out. As my husband entered, my best friend, I ran. I made it halfway up the stairs when Bobby grabbed me from behind. He pulled me back down as I grabbed the step. I was digging my fingernails into the old wood, trying to grab anything to pull myself up. He pulled me onto the floor, and I realized Jason hadn't even stopped raping Kim. He knew they would get me. If you don't stay there, we're going to tie you up. I wanted to do it from the beginning. Jason wants us to trust you. They weren't going to let me out. But I knew I had to get out. If for nothing else to draw them away from Kim, I just needed to waste their time. Maybe Kim would wake up. At least I hoped she was only asleep like I had been. I stayed on the floor where Bobby had put me. My heart was beating out of my chest. This was the first moment I realized just how bad the cellar smelled. It was foul. Like nothing I'd ever experienced before. I had to catch my breath. For just a moment, I thought my heart might fail. I was in a cellar, and there had to be something down here that I could use. I, I looked around. I felt like my eyes were going to burst. I could feel how loud I was breathing. I tried to breathe quieter while I scanned the room for anything. 
I didn't want to bring attention to myself, but I heard something that startled me. I heard my cell phone. Jason had it. That's why I couldn't find it. He, he took my phone out of his pocket and he silenced it. I knew my parents had to be wondering why I wasn't picking up Abby. Oh, my poor daughter who would be left without parents when I was dead and her dad was in prison for killing me. The tears were just streaking hard and heavy down my face. There was another room in the cellar. It had a door, but it looked like the same crappy paneling that was upstairs. I ran into the room and kicked the door shut. They didn't move to get me. They probably figured I couldn't get out that way, so why even bother? The smell, it was, it was worse here. I stepped on something sticky. I didn't know what it was, but it was gross. I couldn't see anything at first, and I couldn't find a light. I snuck over to the door and carefully opened it for light. It was bodies. Dead bodies. That was when I knew my husband was a murderer. I wanted to run, but I would have been running right back to them. I stood still getting my bearings and looked around again. There was no exit, but there was an old pitchfork just sitting against the wall. So I grabbed it. And I ran out of the room straight at them, swinging it. Grab her! They would have been able to grab me, but I made it past them quickly. They moved toward me carefully. They were herded together in front of me, coming just short of my swing. I backed up the stairs. Bobby was the first of them coming up facing me, and I got the impression that he was leading them all. He was trying to grab the pitchfork from me, but I jerked it back and forth threatening to plunge it in his face with every swipe. Get back! Get back! Stay there. We're not gonna hurt you. You're Jason's wife. But give me the pitchfork. I said get back! You don't want to see your, your friend Kim hurt, do you? Come down here like the good wife that we know you are. I wasn't missing his face because I was afraid. I was missing because every time I jabbed my fork at him... He shifted his weight back a step. He was keeping one foot on an upper step and one foot on a lower as I clumsily walked backwards up the steps. As I neared the top, I considered that I would have to turn around and run with the pitchfork. Could I outrun anyone holding a pitchfork? I decided I couldn't, and when I got to the top, I just I jabbed at him one last time, and I jabbed deep. It was my final jab before I closed the door on him and planted the pitchfork into the paneling of the door to stop it from opening. I knew the old piece of paneling wouldn't hold them long as I ran for my life. I couldn't go to the house. They would be there right after me. There were no neighbors close enough. I just ran for the cover of the woods. I ran into the woods, my lungs stinging, and I felt like I couldn't breathe anymore. I had to duck behind a tree in a patch of grass, and I tried my hardest to breathe quiet. I just clasped my hand over my mouth hard to muffle the noise. I could hear him walking around looking for me. He was trying to be quiet, but there were sticks all over the ground. I wanted to peek around the tree, but I was scared he would see me. I slowly peeked around toward the area the noise was coming from, and I saw three others walking in the woods. Now I had four pursuers, and I knew it wouldn't be long before they closed in on me. I moved my head back slowly, shifting my weight, and a stick broke beneath my foot. I just held my breath. There was silence. I couldn't see them, 
but I knew I had gotten their attention. They were waiting for me to make another noise. I couldn't hold still for long enough. I just felt like I had to move. My muscles started screaming. I tried to quietly inch my back up to the tree. The branch cracked again and I heard them move fast. I took off. The bitch is getting away. I couldn't see anything in front of me. There was a dip in the ground and my ankle failed me and I went down. They were on me before I could do anything. They started to drag me out of the woods, and I fought them as hard as I could, but there were too many. They got me to the edge, and I could see lights out of the corner of my eye. What the hell's happening? The cops? We gotta get out of here! I just laid there on the ground for what felt like an eternity, but now I realize it was it was just a couple of minutes, and I stood up, and I started to slowly limp back to the barn. I watched two ambulances pull up as I made my way through the yard to the barn that I I once thought was my own. I thought about Jason and how he would be going to jail and how and how he, he had been conned by these horrible people. An officer saw me and started walking towards me. Miss, are you hurt? Please help me. Is Kim okay? I have an injured woman over here. I need a stretcher. My ankles hurt. I was running in the woods, so I hurt, but I, I don't think it's anything serious. Is Kim okay? I could see Kim sitting on the back of an ambulance talking to an officer and a paramedic. My dad was next to her holding her hand, and she was wearing his jacket and a blanket they had given her. I just gathered up all the energy I had left in me, and I ran, tears streaking down my face. Kim! Jamie, what happened to you? Thank God you're okay. I hugged her so hard and I pulled my dad into it. What happened? How did you get away? I tried to help you, I swear. Please tell me you're okay. I'm okay, kind of, but Jason's not okay. I don't know what was happening, Jamie. I'm so sorry. I woke up and I was naked. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I was naked on a table. I woke up and I didn't know how I got down there or where my clothes were. I swear I only had a few drinks. I think they were raping me, Jamie. You were right about the cellar this whole time you were right. Jason was first. He was trying to grab me. I'm so sorry, Jamie. I stabbed your husband. You hate me. I don't hate you. I looked up just in time to notice that Jason had been loaded into an ambulance. I just feel like I have such mixed emotions about this. They were shutting the back of the doors and getting ready to drive away. And Nate was in the back of one police car and John was in the back of another. Miss, I need to finish taking her statement. Can you come over here, please, and give your statement to an officer? I sat in a police car and gave my statement to the officer. He then drove me to the hospital and helped me give the insurance information for my husband, who had betrayed me. Jason passed away a few hours later. I think I was in shock. I I didn't know how to feel. The man I loved had betrayed me, and now he was dead. I responded that day with Jillian Jansen from Channel 13 News. We stayed on the scene until John, the local coroner, came to remove the bodies. It was a long night. Jamie and Kim were lucky. They were lucky that her father came to check on them 
when she didn't pick up her daughter. When he walked into the barn and heard Kim's screams, he called 911. When Jamie first told me this story, I thought her doubts were just grief. I thought Jason had gone off the deep end, and he had met a bunch of people that aided him in that. But since then, and with the strange things I've seen in Blood Creek, I'm not so sure anymore. If Jamie's story would have ended there, I probably wouldn't have changed my mind. But it didn't. Jason's family arranged his funeral. I only went to take Abby. I didn't know what to do for her, so we went after and I adopted a kitten. I thought it would be like an emotional companion. She named her Belle and we even bought a cute carrier and a harness. I thought she could take the kitten places with her. We started staying with Kim after that. Neither of us wanted to be alone, especially because the others, the men who chased me through the woods, they still haven't been caught. They found the bodies of five women in the barn. According to what Nate told the police, they believed that they each had to kill a woman. There were six of them, and there would be six murders. Kim would have been the sixth. Every day, I wonder how my husband could have believed there was a demon in the cellar of our barn. How could he believe these strangers and what they told him? They found the remains of Bobby and Nate's mother and her lover as well. We were just living our lives every day in that house with the remains of two missing people in the cellar of our barn. This is gonna sound crazy, and maybe after what happened, I am crazy. But sometimes I wonder, I wonder if he knew something I didn't. About a week after the incident, Kim and I took Abby back to the house. We needed to get some more clothes and some of Abby's toys. We were packing up when all of a sudden I couldn't find my daughter. After what happened, I panicked. We searched the entire house and nothing. I was ready to call the police. When me and Kim ran out in the backyard, and there she was walking towards us. I grabbed her. I was so panicked. I shook her a little. Abby, where were you? Why did you leave the house and not say anything? Do you know how much you worried me? I heard the voice. It was calling me. I was in the cellar, just like Daddy taught me. What? You were in the cellar? Where's Belle? Kim, can you take her in the house, please, and not take your eye off her? I looked at my daughter's hands, and they were covered in blood. I ran down the steps, and there was her cat. Lying on the altar with its throat slashed. I was appalled that my daughter could do this. I felt like there had to be something at work in that basement. My daughter, my husband, could they do this on their own? I took the books off the shelf and I ripped the pages out. I took out my anger on those books, balling up the pages and throwing them onto the table. And I ran back up the stairs in the barn and grabbed the matches and lighter fluid and torched the room. I walked out of the barn and stood by the house, watching the flames engulf it. We lived in a small town, and it had only been a week, but everyone had heard. The fire trucks came faster than I thought they would. Hey, miss. I'm sorry for everything you've been through lately, but I wanted to ask. Did you want us to put this fire out? 
No, I want to watch it burn. This episode of Twilight and Terror was written and produced by Melissa Lancaster, with voice acting by Mandy Elliott, Dave Wallowitz, Lexi Lancaster, Timmy Lancaster, with some pitch change to his voice to play the part of the daughter. For music and sound credit, please check our show notes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for information about upcoming shows and show trailers. If you have a positive message, you can send it to twilightandterror at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.